Hello and welcome to the sixth edition of Spotlight on Stories, a Clintonville Spotlight and Worthington Spotlight podcast. With Spotlight on Stories, our aim is to tell the stories of people in Clintonville, Worthington, and Central Ohio at large. We are recording in the heart of Clintonville at Combined Spaces. For our sixth episode, I'd like to welcome in Common Greens Executive Director, Marcy Todd. Marcy, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm like very impressed by the work that you've done so far. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm sure this will this will add to it. And every every one we do, I feel like we're we're building on something here and hopefully we can keep it uh, keep it going. So I mentioned you are the executive director of Common Greens. Can you I guess start by telling me what Common Greens is? Yeah. Um so Common Greens is an organization that runs um, the Clintonville, Bexley, and Upper Arlington Farmers Markets. Um, so many of your listeners probably have been to at least the Clintonville mm-hmm. Farmers Market. That happens on Saturdays um, from 9 to noon. And um, in Bexley, it's 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Thursdays. And in Upper Arlington, it's on Wednesdays from 3 to 6 p.m. All right. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, as I told you before we went on air, I want to talk about specifically Clintonville, yeah. um, the farmer's market here. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more as we evolve into uh, telling your story. Um, can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up? And I, I believe you've come from quite far away, about as far as you can, and still be in the United States, uh, coming at least the lower 48, that is. Uh, tell me about where you grew up. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Sacramento, California. Um I was there, you know, most of my life, but um, my family growing up built golf courses. Okay. So we moved like every six to eight months until um, I was approaching middle school. Um, And then the family business shifted to like um, water construction sort of infrastructure sort of stuff for the city. Um, But yeah, so... Sacramento has always been my home base, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I've lived, gosh, every western state <laughs> um, and Hawaii and, like, many, many, many different places in California. Are there any golf courses that I might have heard of? Or? Uh, the most famous one my family built is the Manalani okay. golf course in Hawaii. It's oh, in like, Hawaii. That's awesome. Uh, it's always on, like, the tours and stuff. I don't know. But, um, you know, they... They're not, like, they don't own the golf courses. No, I get that. But I get they that. do, yeah. like, um, they, like, design and build them, do, uh-huh. like, all of the land movement and the irrigation and all of that. But, That's really neat. And yeah. so, obviously, as we kind of get into talking about your background, uh, working with the earth has been part of your life since it's day true. one, right? Yeah, uh, that's yeah. an interesting tie in there. I didn't even, you know, I try to take some notes and Yeah, and who knew? I didn't I did I definitely didn't place those things together. But yes, now that you say it. <laughs> well, I I've played golf nearly all my life and so, you know, learning about the way to, you know, the way even like famous people like Jack Nicklaus or someone like that will help design a golf course mm, and mm-hmm. and the earth that they move or yeah. and and even what they need to preserve and, and things like that. Uh, um, I know the course I play for years, they use the ponds on the course as the only source of water. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, so you think about, oh, you're wasting all this money watering. Yeah. Um, but, but 
only one year did that become a real problem. We had a serious drought, and every pond on the course was almost was dry. dry. <laughs> so, uh, that becomes an issue at, yeah. at times. I mean, in, here in Ohio, too, it's, like, so green. Mm-hmm. Coming from – so I always thought growing up, I'm like, I live in the most beautiful place. It's so green, yeah. you know. But then now, having lived here, going back home, I'm like, wow, it's so dry. Like, it's right. so – like. I live in like a high desert, really, uh-huh. but I didn't know that. Well, I've never been to Sacramento, but, yeah. but when I've been, I went to San Diego once. And, mm-hmm. and yes, oh, yeah, that's the, the desert. The temperature is beautiful, <laughs> the, but yeah. you drive along the coast down there and all you see is brown. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it is what it is. For but, sure. But at the same time, it's like a friend of mine that lives in Florida was bragging about how great Florida is. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, I come to Tampa and all I see is strip malls. Yeah. You know, I don't, you yeah. know. I grew up in Southeast Ohio myself, so uh-huh. we've got Appalachia. Yeah, we've got hills, so we've got green, trees, so yeah, and, yeah, green, and then beautiful colors coming sure. in the next three to four weeks. Oh yeah, without well. a doubt. So you grew up in California. Yeah. Um, what did you do? And I guess you mentioned other places as well because you moved around. What did you do for high school and college? Let's start with yeah. high school. Um, so high school, I, I luckily, you know, because my family's business kind of shifted, <laughs> I um, was able to go to one high school. Th- for the Great. whole time. Yeah, I went to Mira Loma High School. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I really loved high school. Like, I think I went to a very special place where mm-hmm. um, people from, uh, it had an international baccalaureate program, an IB program. So we had people from like all over Sacramento coming to it. So um, we didn't have those same kind of cliche clicks and whatever it was like oh if you're good at school and nice to people uh you were like pretty popular and so um you know it was i don't mean to like paint it as like this perfect ideal place but (laughs) but i did really like high school that's awesome i think it was the first place where i got to make like very stable friends that i had the whole time all right yeah. And then did you go where did you go to college? I went to college at the University of Redlands. It's a small college in Southern California. Okay. Um, I went to a, a college kind of within the college called Johnston College for Integrative Studies. Um, it's a program that is like you receive you receive like written evaluations rather than letter grades okay. and for every course you evaluate yourself and your professor evaluates you. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, it's a good program for like, if you want to learn, like if you're a learner and you want to learn the ways in which you don't learn well and like fix that. Um, But I'll say it wasn't, uh, I didn't prepare me to like do what I'm doing now. Um, So in that way, I took a lot of student loans for not a great outcome, <laughs> but I did I did enjoy learning. So some might say yeah. my journalism degree is a, a lot like that, even yeah. though I'm, I'm back doing what I was trained to do. Yeah, um, I'm not raking in uh, the millions. The, the big so bucks. Yeah. So so I guess from there, mm-hmm. in a limited online research, yeah, will we'll, we'll get you in trouble sometimes. But but at some point, I know you went to the Peace Corps. I did. Yeah. So afterwards. Um, I worked for a little while. Um, I needed to save money, so I had, you know, student loans. Mm-hmm. But um, f- for when you go into the Peace Corps, a lot of them will defer um, uh, without interest. Sure. They'll just like pause. Um, but I had um, one of my student loans wouldn't yeah. do that, and so um, 
I needed to save money so that while I was in the Peace Corps, I could pay that loan monthly still. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked for a while um, to save a chunk of money before heading out. But yeah, then um, I went to Senegal, West Africa, and I was there for um, like two and a half years. And I, I loved it. It was, I think it was, um, you know, the Peace Corps can be hit or miss. Sure. Um, it really depends, I think, on how you come into the Peace Corps and like what your goals are and um, what you think you're going to accomplish there. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> um, uh, for me, I think that, um, you know, I spoke the language like a toddler and uh, I think my biggest asset or two my my two biggest assets were one I had the internet mm -hmm. so when someone came to me and was like oh I want to do this thing I'm like okay let's figure out how to do it um and two I'm white and so um you know I could get meetings with like the mayor or the prefecture or whatever and um you know a lot of the partners that I was working with who have done just like amazing amazing things within the community with almost no resources like couldn't get access to these people um but like you know for some reason I could even though I could only speak like a two-year-old well, you're, Ameri <laughs> you're American and, and yeah uh, can you share any of the things you were mentioning, like things you, that people would come to you and want to do? Yeah, Can you share yeah. Some of the things? Oh man, there's some really cool projects. I think my favorite work partner, Mamadou Bari, he um, he had been working within the community for a long time, doing um, working with like women's groups to or a small amount of women. I think it was like five or six when we started, or when I got in touch mm -hmm. with him um, to grow cow peas and then sell some right then, but then hold some back for um, what's called the starving season in Senegal. Um, and that's when you can get the highest price for the, for the beans. And so they would um, hold them back, sell them when they're at the, the highest price, and then um, distribute that money to like whoever's name was called mm -hmm. out of like the pot that month. <laughs> or whatever um and then uh yeah so then that's how like it was kind of a community bank by way of um cow peas wow and um but one of the projects that he was like really wanting to do but couldn't find the resources or the funding is basically a farmer's market sure. um so he um had this grand vision of uh like value-added products um coming together in one location in like the central city of Kolda, which is like a region of Senegal. And so um, he and I worked together to get funding, to talk to all of the appropriate um, government folks. And we put together uh, La Foi Régionale de Kolda. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was a you know, four day experience once a year where people from all over the region would come together with their um, really innovative or interesting products and be able to display those. Um, we uh, had like someone from the radio come and like talk to each of the people and broadcast that so that people who couldn't make it to the, to the fair um, 
could still hear about the products and about the people. Um, yeah, it was like it was a really cool experience. It was all Barry's Mamadubari. It was all his idea. Yeah. Um, and really, it was like all his heavy lifting. <laughs> I was just kind of around for, <laughs> for you know, the assets that I bring, I guess. But you got to see it. I mean, that's that's really neat. I mean, even I've read a little bit of even historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Follett wrote the, a few books of like even the Dark Ages and the Middle yeah. Ages and and even in England, the way people came together was this type of fair, this type of what, yeah. we, what we might call a farmer's market yeah. now here, here yeah, in definitely. Columbus. But but that's that's a way to bring people together and even spread out commerce, right? Yeah, to, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like particularly for some of the folks in, in Senegal, like um, there's some really innovative thinkers and, and movers and producers. Um that their their visions, their products, like never really make it out of their little area mm-hmm. because, I mean, for could be any different number of reasons, but mainly transportation is the big one. Like um, in Kolda, the region that we were in, it's the poorest region in Senegal, but it's like the most fruitful. You could throw seeds and everything will grow. You know, <laughs> um, it's like one of the only parts of the country that is not desert. Um, But, you know, access at the time, um, there weren't any major roads that come into that region that were, like, well-maintained. And so, um, you know, now that has changed, luckily, um, and, you know, with good reason, because Kolda could bring a lot to the center of the country but um but yeah i think the the foire the the fair was like the you know kind of the first time that a lot of these people were able to get their products to a space where um people could help them bring their products more often Mm -hmm. into like the commerce of of the region um because we had like a lot of nonprofit organizations that um specifically like have money for this kind of thing and um they were all there so it was kind of a a networking space um which i think again is like what the farmer's market is too (laughs) but that is neat yeah a friend of mine went to the peace corps in the late 2000s well actually probably mid mid 2000s yeah um he ended up in ukraine oh wow and at the time he he was in kiev and must feel some kind of now today he's certainly I've talked to him once or twice about it, but yeah. uh, he he actually brought baseball to really? to people there, yeah. and uh, he wrote to he was a big Tigers fan. He's from yeah. Northeast Ohio. He wrote to Curtis Granderson, who was an All Star player for the Tigers and then the Yankees, and he sent equipment. Wow! Over there, yes, and, uh, good. Kids. He worked with kids a lot. Yeah, in, in his what he was doing, and and I remember this, you know, the, some of the pictures of their smiling faces. Yeah, yeah. They don't know where Detroit is, but yeah. they're wearing some Detroit Tigers uh, yeah. catcher's equipment and things like that. Um, so I saw in one of your bios, I, maybe you've been on the Common Green site, that you were a gardener at Golden Gate Park. Oh, yeah, what, yeah. Explain that a little bit or talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that was really fabulous. You know, I came back from Senegal and I didn't really, um, I knew that I wanted to stay in food. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, there wasn't a clear path that I could be paid <laughs> enough Absolutely. to live in the Bay and stay in food. And 
Um, so yeah, I got a job with the city of San Francisco um, with Golden Gate Park specifically. And um, my job was kind of interesting. We like moved to a few different um, parts of the city, but mm-hmm. where I ended up spending most of my time was at the All Organic Golf Course, which is... <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can't escape golfing. Um, but yeah, the All Organic Golf Course, uh, I did a lot of maintenance there. And then where I spent uh, the bulk of my time after was at the the nursery um, in Golden Gate Park. It's a really cool place. Um, most parks don't like they bring in plants from other nurseries um but at at golden gate park um they grow all of the plants for all of the parks in the city um and it's it's a really cool operation i learned a lot there and Mm -hmm. um the people i worked with were just fabulous i really really enjoyed all of them um but unfortunately um uh, I, I'm, I very well could have still been there, but unfortunately, like, um, toward the end of my time there, or I was planning to stay longer, but, um, I got hit by a car and so, uh, uh, that kind of, I just couldn't do that same level of work Mm -hmm. for a while. I had to like relearn to walk and, um, so it just, it was too hard on my body, Mm -hmm. um. At that point, uh, there's like so many days before you have to come back to work. Right. Otherwise, they can give your job Was away. it part of work on the job when you got hurt? Or no, I was, was um, riding my bike to work okay. or to like the meeting spot where right. I would go to get um, get my like carpool ride. And I was hit by the car on my way. Okay. And um, yeah, and I think there's like 180 days or something like that, but... It took me a while to uh, kind of get back to walking and, you know, getting energy. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, I think I went back too early. Yeah. Once you go back, there's like 60 days or, or 90 days that um, you need to get back to full time. Right. And I just couldn't make it in that sure. time. Sure. But, but yeah. Wow, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm dealing with a workers' compensation situation oh, are, with a yeah. uh, broken ankle right now. It, oh, it was about man. two years ago now, and uh, I'm having some hardware issues. Yeah. And uh, so it's funny. I mean, I, I was not hit by a car, but yeah. Uh, it, it's. It, I remember I went back to work and I was paid basically through the taxpayers yeah. with the job I had at the school, and I had missed eight days of school because there was two days off that the mm-hmm. kids had anyway. Yeah. And then of course weekends. And, uh, but I'd only worked there for six weeks. So they, uh, yeah. They said, well, you've only earned two and a half days. Yeah. And I said, well, can I use the three uh, personal days you gave me? Yeah. And they said, no, you can't use that as part of the oh, medical. God. And so they docked my pay. Yeah. Even though I got hurt at work. At work. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, that was a fun, yeah, get fun out back here, and man. forth with bureaucracy. It still goes on. Yeah. Uh, it's hard because it's like, it's, it's not really, I mean, it, it's like these rules are in place for, for good probably reason. good yeah. reason, but not having the flexibility within them sure. uh, really is is a stunting for for all of us for our whole right. society. Really, I mean, you're not trying yeah. to shirk your duties. No, and, not and at all. Certainly, yeah. physically, you want to be yeah. able to do your job. Uh, yeah, I mean, in doing your job, like that gives you a lot of dignity. Like mm-hmm. um, most people want 
to have that dignity, you know. It's not, sure. Yeah. Now, if you could go backwards with me a little bit, um, yeah. when you went to the Peace Corps, <clears throat> mm-hmm. did you have gardening and agriculture and things experience. like that? <laughs> no, not, yeah. not necessarily experience, but yeah. did you have that in mind of what you wanted to do? Because yeah. you have basically just told me that you went to San Francisco after the Peace Corps, and yeah. that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. When you entered into the Peace Corps, was that kind of your goal, was to be in that? Uh, no, no, not necessarily. I knew that I wanted to be with food mm-hmm. um, when I entered the Peace Corps. And I had been um, doing a lot of volunteering hours with, like, the conservatory and um, with, like, some organiz- like food growing and that kind of organization. But, um, but yeah, no, I wasn't totally sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think going to the Peace Corps, um, I think when I came back from the Peace Corps, one of the things, it's, this is like a really ridiculous thing that I took with me, <laughs> um, but there were many others that were more important. But one of the things is that um, I really realized <laughs> that I want to have control over the food that I eat. And um, that I want it to be good food that I want to eat. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, that's not saying anything about Senegal. Like, they have some really great food. I've had some of the best food of my life in Senegal. And, um, you know, I've also had a lot of the same thing over and over every day, um, which is often like oily rice. And so that was not, um, so I think like when I came back home, I was like, oh my gosh, like I could get an apple (laughs) and, you know, or I could get like a fresh salad. And those things existed in Senegal for sure. But I think, you know, I was living with a family and they cooked all of my meals. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I was just like such a toddler. Um, and so they really took care of me. Sure. Um, and I think there I saw like how important access to good food is. And um, in Senegal, if you don't grow it, or if you don't grow some of your diet, then you lack a lot in your diet. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, food is expensive, uh, as we know well here, too. And so, um, yeah, I think that I really carried that with me uh, coming into, you know, back into society here. And you were talking about the Golden Gate Park and and what you grow. I actually, I was out there in 2019, Mm. and I walked from Fisherman's Wharf to the bridge. To the Golden Gate Park. Oh, to, yeah, to the Golden Gate. And so to see the different, the wild grasses, the flowers, the, I I can almost picture what you were doing there because of, of all the things I saw on the way there. That was a... A very interesting, you know, you see how big the bridge looks. And you think, yeah. Oh, it's right there. We'll just walk over. Oh, yeah, no, and it's fine. It was quite a walk. Um, but we made it. And, yeah, good. Uh, no, no, it's just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful area. To see some of the, the different things along there, along the shoreline. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so after that, yeah, somehow you ended up here in Columbus. Yeah, well, um, I think, you know, after getting hit by the car, mm-hmm. um, I that was just a few blocks from my house. And um, I think uh, it was just time for something else. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, also while I was in the Bay Area, I met my partner and we were thinking like, oh, we might want to have kids one day and um, which we do. We have two. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think doing that in the Bay with five roommates and it just uh, felt like a heavy lift. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were looking for something else. And at the same time, my partner's parents were looking to retire. And um, they're both originally from Ohio. And so we kind of congregated here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and it's been good. Yeah, you're here in Columbus, yeah. uh, not just a flyover city. No, uh, it's, yeah, it's, no. It's an <laughs> up and coming city, certainly. Um, what is, um, let me see, I have it. What is Fresh Town Farm? Oh, yeah. So that's my other job. Um, <laughs> I would say that's my first job. Okay. Um, so after moving here, I realized that, um, you know, part of moving to a space where uh, it doesn't cost as much money to live means that I could really take some risk. And so um, I started Freshtown Farm in 2017. And um, we sold at the Clintonville Farmers Market for a few years, um, and then when COVID happened, we um, I think at the time, you know, it was unclear whether the farmers markets would be able to continue. Um, you know, because at that time too, everybody thought that we needed to clorox all of our food before we <laughs> ate right. it you know and so um the farmers markets were struggling to figure out what the rules were and whether we could continue to have them and so um for us we were a little worried that we wouldn't be able to sell so we were like okay what do we do um so we switched our model to um a csa model community supported agriculture model which is like um like a subscription service for your vegetables um and a lot of our clintonville shoppers came with us in that and we were able to fill the rest of the csa and we have been doing that for the last few years um and it has been really great uh the community of people who join a CSA are, are very interesting. They're like people adventurous in yeah. food and, um, or people that want to try, like uh, they want to get like something new and see if they want to incorporate that into their world or people that, you know, are trying to change their health habits or whatever. It's, it's a really, really cool community of people. Um, uh, this year though, with um, taking on the Common Greens job, um, and also my business partner graduated nursing school, and so she <laughs> went off and um, is doing that, which I miss her so much. <laughs> but but um, uh, we were, my new business partner and I were a little worried that we would be able to supply what we have been for mm-hmm. the CSA, and I, was, I didn't want to, like, let down our customers. Um, and so... We paused the CSA this year, and we have other outlets now for our food. But, um, but yeah, we might bring it back next year. What types of food are we talking about? Oh, my gosh. We grow <laughs> like 100 different varieties. Um, we grow everything from broccoli to tomatoes to 
uh, things that are weird, like Malabar spinach and gherkin cucumbers. Um, there's a wide range. We try to grow mostly things that you wouldn't find in the grocery store or a variety of something that is slightly different. So you might find kale. You for sure will find kale in the grocery store, but we grow like a rainbow kale or, you know, that kind of thing. Different colored carrots? Uh, we, you know, we have tried many times to grow different colored <laughs> carrots, but um, they just, I don't know if, I, I think I just don't have the um, skill for okay. it. Uh, <laughs> they don't come out great. They come out all weird. So we, we grow mainly three varieties of orange carrot. Sure. Um, like a storage variety, a quick variety, and a main season variety. My uh, One of my college friends is a, a chef in, uh-huh. in Manhattan, and I went to visit him once, and we got purple and yellow Yay. and orange carrots, and I was like, oh, my goodness, and that took me down a rabbit hole of research. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Why are these carrots? And basically the answer was, well, Americans like orange carrots, and I don't know if it gets Bugs Bunny. Or, yeah, or, or what? what it is, <laughs> yeah. But, where, where do you grow all of this? Um, we have a few lots in the city. We rent a third of an acre from the land bank. Okay. Um, and that lot is by my house on the south side, um, just south of Thurman and east of Parsons on uh-huh. Ann Street. Wow, okay. Um, really not far from South High School. Uh-huh. We uh, often hear uh, the South High marching band yeah. practicing <laughs> or the football players going, <laughs> 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 um, so that's fun. And um, we rent, well, I should say we rent for free. We don't rent, but um, someone gives us um, some land up off of Cook and Maze. Okay. Um, just south of Saraga. Sure. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't, if you drove past, you wouldn't miss it. It's like their whole front yard, and then if you peek through the backyard, you can see we have three tunnels in the back as well. Wow, Okay. Yeah, if you drive along Cook Road, and yeah. it, it goes to show the different ways that the city has been built. I yeah. Mean, if you're on Cook Road east of 71, the yards, the front yards oh, are they're huge. huge. Yeah, and, and they're just, huge. You don't find that really anywhere anymore yeah. as far as even the suburbs. Or even if you go down to, like, Bexley, that, that is much older, obviously. And, For sure. And the home's there. But, but, boy, these yards are huge along there. Yeah, I think the owner of um, the place where we are at, has three acres, um, which is a lot for a city lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Well, we at the spotlight um, in Worthington. I've written a few stories. There's a there's a like a different kind of high school called Linworth, mm-hmm. and I'll say it wrong. Experiential program, I think it's called. Oh, um, and they actually work with the Worthington um, Farmers Market a little bit, and cool. and they've set up their own little plot there, and they value very much urban gardening and urban, you know, ag- you know, raising your own yeah. produce and things like that. Yeah. Speak to the importance in your mind of, of... I mean, it's just amazing what you, how many people you can feed on a small, on a small spot, you know, we're like a little less than an acre and um, we, at our height, are feeding like 80, 85 families wow. a week, um, which is amazing <laughs> with all the different variety yeah you were talking yeah about. you know with 10 or 12 different items a week sure um in a box which is pretty cool um but really i mean urban agriculture is important for so many reasons food access um you know healthy communities like the 
the neighborhood that we're in on the south side when we first got there um, to now you can see like such a range of what is happening both like gentrification and just um, the shift of like having healthy food in the neighborhood mm-hmm. um, not not by my farm but like free for all people um, they give out like Oh gosh, I couldn't even quote how many pounds. Probably close to, I don't know, five hundred and fifty thousand pounds of fresh food, like a year. Wow, uh, which is amazing. You know, it's just access to good food, and um, I think people don't often like. Some people will come by and be like, "Oh my gosh, is that a beet?" Like, my grandma loves beets. I'm like, do you love beets? Do you want to try it? You know, I think that there's, um, we've come a little bit from, like, understanding what our food, how it grows, what it looks like, how to use it. I think we're, like, moving back into a space where um, those things are becoming important in our culture again. Um, But, yeah, I think um, without without it being, like you can't be what you don't see, or you can, but it's really, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being able to see good food, it's more likely you're gonna eat it. Um, You know, being able to to meet a farmer, it's more likely you're gonna be a farmer. Um, And so I think that that's like probably the biggest um, importance of having. So if I see the McDonald's sign or the Seven Eleven sign, yeah, <laughs> I might be going in there instead of yeah. Maybe, I mean, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy, right? It's like, yeah. No doubt about that. Well, let's circle back to well, forward to I should say the Clintonville Farmers Market. Um, talk to me a little bit about Common Greens, and and I guess is it just kind of like the umbrella over the three farmers markets we talked about: Clintonville, Bexley, and Upper Arlington. Yeah. So. Um, a few years ago, uh, Michelle White, she has run the Clintonville Farmers Market for, gosh, 12 years, and um, she really built the organization. But um, b- before the maybe like six or eight, maybe 10 years ago, but I think it's around the six or eight amount of time of years, um, Michelle also took over the Bexley and Upper Arlington Farmers Markets. And um, she, um, along with a few other folks in in the community, um, really saw this need to be able to grow these this network, mm-hmm. um, you know, and provide or provide space for local foods and producers, small businesses to exist in, um, and uh, you know really, really grew the organization. Like, uh, I think that we see like $1.2 million conservatively go through um, the markets a year. Uh, So it's a big economic driver. And I would say that that's like a very conservative number. Um, We collect financial data, but we don't always get it from people, you know. Yeah, especially in the height of the season, everyone is so busy that, mm-hmm. like, filling out another survey is, like, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, really, Michelle White and I think um, the other person that she was working with, Jamie Haji, 
um, and members of the city's like local food action plan. Um, they're really like the vision behind it. I took over Common Greens in January of this year um, as already a, a very well-functioning organization. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there's like several spaces that we can grow into um, and hopefully we will. But, um, but yeah, the, the organization really kind of came to being with, with those folks. Well, the Clintonville Farmers Market, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's, it's on Saturdays between April 29th and November 18th from 9 to noon. It, it takes place at 3535 North High Street. Global, in front of Global Gallery, okay. AutoZone, Donato's, um, who are all like, I mean, and all of those businesses like Destination Donuts and, um, uh, oh gosh, what's the Wildcat, like. All of those businesses, um, world pieces, they really support the market. Um, you know, we wouldn't be able to be there without, like, their excitement mm -hmm. and approval. <laughs> well, how, how many vendors are typical, and, and what types of items are for sale? Oh, on, wow. On you could find anything and everything. Um, we have uh, 58 producers. Um, ranging, we don't do much outside of food, okay. um, or food adjacent, uh -huh. I would say. Um, so ranging from like, um, croissants from Sunflower Bakery to, uh, um, breakfast sausage at Bluebird Meadows to, uh, apple cider at Ox, um, fruit farm. There's really, there's fresh milled uh, flour from local millers. There's all kinds of vegetables you could imagine um, from Farmstead, Harriet Gardens, um, Nine N, Rock Dove. Like there's uh, really anything you can think of. We have dairy at Sweetgrass Dairy, um, cheese at Coco Borrego, the Sipple Family Farm, um, and Blue Jacket Dairy. Uh, there's like specialty items that um, like cured sausages from North Country Charcuterie. Like really, um, the list is long and uh, there's always a surprise. Like um, last week, I think Roots, Fruits, and Shoots had fresh ginger. It was beautiful, like with its greens on. Wow. Um, without skin, like young and uh, red and yellow, just like so beautiful. You just never know what you're going to find, but you're always going to find the staples. I assume the season kind of dictate, dictates too a little bit. Oh, like yeah, without a doubt, what, yeah. What could be available? Early, certainly. there's lots of greens, and then, um, you know, toward the middle of the season, you get the tomatoes and pepper, or really peppers are kind of now, but um, towards the middle of the season, it's like tomatoes and watermelons and sweet corn, um, you know, and like now it's like peppers, greens, tomatoes. Like it's kind of like now is an excellent time to come to sure. the farmer's market because you can truly find everything. It's like this very sweet spot where summer and fall meet each other. And there's like, they're reminiscent of spring because a lot of those vegetables are kind of back in play. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's really a beautiful time to be at the farmer's market. Well, check it out. Uh, every Saturday until November 18th this year, again, that's 3535 North High Street. How could people get in touch with you as far as if they want to sell at the, at the yeah, farmer's market? Yeah, um, so every year we open applications through Manage My Market uh, starting in January. Um, and they close at the end of January. So producers know generally um, what markets they've been accepted to do and for what dates um, by the end of February. Okay. Um, so if you're thinking that you want to uh, sell something at the farmer's market, um, you know, get all your documentation together now. And uh, if you need help with any of those things, any guidance, um, you can reach out to us at the farmer's market at the info booth, or you can email us at hello at commongreensohio.org. And we will happily help point you to, you know, whatever we know of. Awesome. That is great. Well, I really appreciate you for joining me today, Marcia. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been, it's been very enlightening and you're making me hungry. So um, <laughs> thank you for all of you for listening to Spotlight on Stories, recorded in the heart of Clintonville at Combined Spaces. Combined Spaces is a space and a place combined. Co-working, flex, hybrid, and multi-tenant office space management is available, including the very podcast studio we are recording in. For more information about Combined Spaces, call 614-448-5144 or go to CombinedSpaces.com. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review, and don't hesitate to tell your friends and family all about Spotlight on Stories. Thank you.